1: Welcome to episode 503 of the five-year plan podcast coming to you a few days after an eventful visit to Sellers Park from Liverpool with me Joe Walker to reflect on the weekend is first Ruben Pinder of The Athletic thank you once again for joining me Ruben how are you
2: yeah very well thanks always a pleasure oh, great to have you
1: back on and alongside us today another familiar voice to regular listeners welcome back Grace Matheson how are you Grace
0: yeah, not too bad. Thank you. It's been a while. Um, not much has changed, but yeah, still here.
1: Still here. Still here to oversee a palace loss. But it's okay. You know, it's it's different circumstances. I feel like than than usual. But we'll get to that. Um, before we get underway, a word from our sponsor, Green King Sport. It's the season for festive football, and the best way to watch it is, of course, at your local Green King Sport Pub. Christmas, a great time to catch up with friends, old and new. So get the team to your local for refreshing pints, delicious food, and live action of every Christmas cracker. Every fixture from TNT, Sky, and Amazon is live at Green King Sport Pub. So watch every winning goal, every dodgy VAR decision, and every palace goal win. Hopefully, no losses in an atmosphere worth sharing download the drinking sport app as well to receive 10% off drinks. Every single time there's sport on the telly, thank Slater for that one. Right back to the palace, another defeat this time, a late two one loss to Liverpool, but that doesn't really come close to telling the whole story. I dare say as well, Ruben it left palace fans feeling a little bit more encouraged after the shocker that was that Bournemouth game. Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Like despite the result, um, it was a very encouraging performance given what we all endured against Bournemouth, which was one of those, I feel like you could sense that Bournemouth performance coming um, from the vibe following the previous game, the fact that it was midweek and just against the team on the up, because they're finally clicking under their newly appointed manager. Um, So I wasn't surprised by that, as disappointing as it was. And then to see the reaction against Liverpool, which, um, you know uh, those of us at the game might have spotted at half time as the players went in at nil nil there was a real roar of approval from the crowd um for the efforts that they'd seen in contrast to the booze that we heard against Bournemouth and Joachim Anderson and Joel Ward were both like geeing up the homesdale like really um kind of trying to help generate that atmosphere so there were promising signs unfortunately <laughs> undone by the result and the additional injuries that we picked up along the way, not to mention the suspension, which I'm sure we will come to later. Indeed,
1: uh, when it rains, it pours on the injury side. Um, but Grace, I, I was thinking of an analogy earlier. The when when a, a prime minister or a head of state has struggled traditionally, one of their get-outs, uh, their ways of getting back in favour with the public is a is a war, to declare war with somebody, get right, get back the uh, credibility and the the public opinion and I feel like when if, when the going's tough and we're under pressure we're short of numbers nothing like a, a referee and horror show to really uh, get everyone back on side and rallying the troops. Hodgson after the game we maybe get into it a little bit more Grace but it was nice to see having seen him kind of he, one of the criticisms I saw for him that was that he was kind of just stood still on the touchline a bit lacking emotion as to what he was witnessing on Wednesday night but he was. Oh, he got a yellow, in fact, uh, on on the on the weekend, which must be can't be. He can't have too many of those. He's not really known for that. And after the game, he was not just angry, but pretty kind of dejected and almost like looked like he was fed up with football. It was. It was uh, not. I don't You know, longer term, it's hard to tell. But it was the kind of performance and the kind of dis- certainly display and reaction from the fans between the squad and and the crowd that Hodgson really needed, as well as the team.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and like you say, the fact that Hodgson got a yellow and Klopp didn't tells you everything that you need to know about the the refereeing performance, um, giving Klopp's usual um, comments on them, but was markedly quiet this time round. Can't imagine why. Um, but no, it was nice to see him a bit more animated in that obviously different managers have different approaches some of them just look like nothing's ever going to phase them others look like they're about to have a heart attack at any given moment um but it was nice to see what what all of us were feeling essentially come through that frustration that that annoyance and, and his comments afterwards, I think were entirely justified, um, especially given the, the refereeing debacle, which yeah, I'll expect we'll come to later and have lots of views on.
2: Yeah. Does, does your war analogy make PGMOL our version of the Falklands? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was what he is,
1: what he needed at that moment. I feel like, uh, <laughs> although given, I, I don't, I take it. Have you both seen the, the Turkish super yeah. League incident? You know, I, I think that, generally speaking, is sort of broader than Palace. I think that might be a little bit of a wake up call as to kind of just how much we do go at referees and refereeing decisions. I don't think there was any uh, threat of that uh, spilling over to that extent at Celeste, despite the way it was going against us. But I do wonder if that's the thin end of the wedge with the way some of the discussion goes about referees. However, it, you know, playing it as it lies and looking at, at Saturday afternoon as it was. It, there were some really frustrating inconsistencies in that. Um, let's let's go to the red first. Uh, then Jordan, are you, I, I, the first yellow between you guys. Do you think? Do you think the first was a yellow? So so he's got in the way. He has then jumped over the ball, and I feel like Van Dyke kicking it out of play almost deliberately and gone. Look, it was because he was in my way. Has actually got him the yellow. Have I seen that in the
2: same way? I like how we've both just made very indecisive expressions there. Um, Like, I mean, personally, I don't really know. I don't feel like that should be a yellow card because you see a lot of players do that to prevent opposition from taking free kicks all the time. Mm. It's probably against the laws of the game to do that. But then it's kind of at the referee's discretion when the kick is taken, right? I don't know if he's playing his whistle. Um, and then you see players who are about to take free kicks, whack the ball into that player's shin just to make a point to the referee all the time as well. Yeah. He did jump out the way of the ball. Um, so, in you know, it, from my quite biased opinion, I kind of think the referee should have let that one go with maybe a word. Um, because, I mean, we've seen this at, at Selhurst Park before. Was it last season when Tommy Asu got sent off for two extremely soft yellows when he, he pulled IU back actually didn't he three seconds yeah. so it's not it's not dissimilar to that and I felt that was really harsh as well um and with some of the new refereeing directives like booking a player early on for something quite soft can put referees in very difficult decisions later on yeah like the the, the foul on Elliot it's not a not a violent foul not even that cynical like he tries to win a ball he's not you know you see a lot of fouls um, you know, Fernandinho and Casemiro were the experts at it in c- yeah. terms of like pulling players back on the break. This wasn't really one of them. Um, there were a few more players back, so you know it it did stop a counter attack. So the second one, I'm not really that bothered about in terms of being a yellow, but for it to be the double whammy and end up sending him off, which inevitably tipped the game massively in their favour, is extremely frustrating. But you know, I, to answer your actual question, yeah, I think it's pretty harsh.
1: Yeah. Grace, would you be more aggrieved with the second yellow than the first?
0: Um, I think I was, like Ruben said, not aggrieved so much that it was given, but maybe that it was given as a second yellow. I feel like so often we see fouls um, take place and and we say, and commentators say, if he wasn't on the yellow, he'd have been booked for that. And they seem to let it go because they don't either want to have to make the decision or, uh, I know there's always this thing about them sort of balancing the game out and sort of giving one to each side Though we didn't see any of that on Sasse mm. either which, which
2: by the way I think is sometimes quite good refereeing like yeah. even if in isolation it looks like it should be yellow card you take the bigger picture into consideration That is part of a referee's job
0: Agreed, exactly. And I'm, I sort of I always feel a bit of a hypocrite um, criticising referees because I've got a twin brother, and when we were younger, we did our refereeing exam together. I failed, Um, but that's Mm -hmm. that's another matter. But he he passed it, and he's continued to do it. And he now he's a lino up to I think he's on the conference south, so at a fairly decent level. So I'm privy to a bit more of like what goes on and some of the learning points they get from the FA after games and things that go wrong, um, which is quite interesting and there's more sort of analysis and culpability than I think they show to the public which I think would probably be a good thing if they were more transparent about it Um, but yeah it, it just comes down that that second yellow just felt like if that had been a Liverpool player that was on a yellow would that have been given as a second yellow for them I'm not entirely convinced and especially not on Saturday given Andy Madley it felt like the two yellows he did give them late on were just to balance the books, given that <laughs> yeah. we had what seven at that point, eight yeah. over it ended up
2: nine, nine seven. total, seventeen fouls. Both teams. We got seven yellows. They got two. Cracky.
1: and then and then then Roy, you chuck Roy a yellow in there as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it, that came at a point in the game where, you know, that that kind of defending, let's say, even if it was cynical, from I the second one, if it, if that if it was deliberate, let's say. There's an art form that I think a lot of the best sides, I don't know, I almost want to admire it because they get away with it so often. I wonder if actually they're just concealing it very well. The Fernandinho is a great example of it um, that you gave a minute ago, Ruben. Uh, Rodri, well, Rodri at the moment. It it's, well, it's, yeah, yeah but Rodri's got six yellows this season, I've noticed. So
2: maybe he's... Yeah, they're clamping less, down on him.
1: Yeah, which is about time because Liverpool still had a lot of occasions where they did it. Uh, Canate a few times uh, in that second half would... would bring down one of us countering on the edge of our own box, like ready to break, he would just go, no, 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 uh, on a, from a set piece and didn't get booked. If you do it safe. close
2: enough to, if you do it like early enough in the pitch, then it's like you, are, you not, haven't actually denied anything. Yeah. So yeah, it's cynical yeah. and smart.
1: It's cynical and it's smart, and um, which is why it's so frustrating when we it, Palace get pulled on something that may even be argued was kind of just an innocent attempt at the ball. And it comes at a time where by that point, Palace are leading, have had one penalty not given, uh, you know unless you want to challenge me I, I i do think the will hughes challenge on endo is a foul on reflection i don't know why it took as so long as it long. did to look at the monitor and it's obviously a
2: foul like yeah when i obviously this is a frustrating thing when you're at a game and, and there's var yeah. playing it takes that long because you see the initial hughes foul not given then yeah. you see the stonewall penalty from van dyke on edward and you're convinced in your head, like, there's no way this can't be a penalty. Mm-hmm. And obviously it took ages. And, you know, my dad texted me during that wait, and he was like, definite foul, by the way, you're not getting this. And <laughs> it's like, we shouldn't be finding out like this. Yeah. That's so
1: strange. Yeah. Cause I, in the, in the stand, I just thought the longer this goes on, it co- must not be clear and obvious as you know. And then, but then when he, once he's told to go to the monitor, that's never the the good sign. And I would, yeah, it's the right decision, but strange it took that long to get there. Um, we are. We do then get another penalty in the second half, which has been used as a sort of yardstick against why other penalties weren't given in. The, I think in the Arsenal Villa game, but I think not seen in the moment, but the right decision. Like, but they get. Uh, I forget his name now. the The young centre half next to Van Dijk, Kwanzaa, who looks a bit of a player by the way, but quite a, a gigantic as well. But he was nowhere near the ball. He he, he trips up Mateta, and. So, in fact, here's a question I'll throw at you, Grace. This has come to me. How did you feel when he picked up the ball and there was a little bit of a commotion? I believe Roy indicated that somebody else should take it and there was... Mateta emerges with the ball. How did you feel? Were you really confident at his... First goal in the league. The
0: it, it made me very anxious when you could see Joe Ward clearly saying to him, it's like, like talking to a kid. He was like, look, look, I know, I know you won the penalty, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you necessarily get to take it. And the way he just, he was just clinging onto it like, no, I am not giving up this ball. So then once it became apparent that he was clearly ignoring management instructions, you just thought, God, please Please don't miss this, um, because I mean, yeah, I don't even want to think what the reaction would have been had had he missed it. Um, so thank God for everyone's well-being, blood pressure um, that that he put it in the back of the net.
2: Yeah, shades, like, it's, it's shades of ball but... on the Xbox now. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, yeah. I had the exact same reaction. I turned around to people sat near me and I just went, who the fuck's going to take it? (laughs) Like Honestly, because post Milivojevic, we've not had a specialist and, you know, like Wilf had his period taking penalties and scored most of them. But when he started taking over that responsibility, I was very uneasy about it because like, you know, as great as he is, that kind of thing's never been his his strong suit, but he he had a pretty good record. You know, Kabai took a few here and there. Edward's taken a few. Eze's taken a couple, I think. But, um, yeah, I, I thought, well, a bit like with the free kicks, Trema Anderson took a free kick against West Ham and just kind yeah. of lashed it. I was like, why don't you give it to him? He might be like one of these, you know, like Leighton Baines, like defenders that just leathers set pieces. Um, but, yeah, so equally relieved uh, when it went in. But I don't know who Joel Ward was trying to give it to. Edward presumably. I was stood oh, next yeah. to Joel the whole time, yeah, okay. um, which
0: I'm not sure I'd have felt any any better <laughs> yeah. about, to be honest.
2: <laughs> Gosh,
1: yeah, it was um, yeah a, a, tra- a potentially chaotic situation that slightly avoided there by him just putting it in the net. Could well be his last goal for Palace if links back to Germany are to be believed, but we're, we'll see about that. But the game generally. I think before kickoff, as bad as Bournemouth was, I think even the most optimistic Palace fan would say we need to have, be lucky today. We're very short of players. Um, Klein at left back didn't wasn't encouraging on Wednesday. You know he's up against Salah, and yet the players out there did as well as they could. But luck again was just not on our side. Even refereeing aside, we've mentioned Mateta. He's come on because Edwards uh, injured. Lerma goes down with, I hope, just cramp. But that was, it looked like cramp, but it was 65 minutes in, which gives you an so, indication so he of... He was
2: brilliant, by the way. Absolutely, like, I, I would agree on really that. He really
1: good. He's in this kind of quite difficult period has been one of the shining lights, I think. and But him pulling up over, just over an hour indicates just how much these players that we do have are being stretched, put in their red zones, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have Sam Johnston go down I mean, first of all, Liverpool equalised immediately after Jordan I almost from the set piece. Um, there was a question about, you know, it's not the first time that Elise has failed to clear a, a ball in his own box well and it's led to a goal. Um, but it is what it is. And, and that equaliser goes in deflected. Having, at that point, Liverpool had actually been kept very, nowhere near our goal, really, very quiet. But history, I'm not sure we'll remember that outside this podcast. I thought we'd done really well. And then further luck when runs out when Sam Johnston gets injured. Poor Remy Matthews comes in for his Premier League Pal- and Palace debut, in fact, full Palace debut after two and a bit years here and gets involved a couple of times prior to their goal, but Harvey Elliott scores the winner and all that effort just seems to count for nothing. I, I, do, do you think if IU stays on that we play that out? I know it's just a... a Pure hypothetical at this point but Ruben do you feel like that 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 red it's
2: the red that kills us as much as the injuries that's definitely what it felt like because watching the game obviously we had like 24 percent possession so it lived had most of the ball but we were doing really well at kind of shuttling them into non-dangerous areas and kind of only allowing them half chances at best um you know like we had a higher xg obviously helped by the penalty but generally they didn't create um that kind of good quality of chance. And then the man advantage combined with the fatigue in our players' legs already did seem to make the difference, especially when they've got such good subs to bring on, you know, like they, they were able to bring Gomez on, put Trent into midfield. um, And, you know, Elliot was, was really lively when he came off the bench and obviously scored the winner. So that is definitely um how it felt. It, it, it I got the sense at the time when it was one, one with kind of like 15, 20 minutes to go that we could definitely, Hold it out for a point if we just keep doing what we're doing. It didn't feel like uh, an equaliser, let alone a winner, was inevitable. By any stretch. No. And, and Grace, it's funny. M- barely
1: minutes before use second yellow, we bring on Elise, who let's not forget didn't start the game, and it was re- that was a real concern. It didn't promise a great deal for Palace before the game. He comes on at one nil, and it suddenly looks like. Oh, we can catch them on the break here if they do decide to get a bit brave, Liverpool. And then suddenly the red happens. You think, oh, actually, I probably probably wouldn't have made that change in retrospect because now we need to we need to find somebody defensive and as River mentioned, subs. Grace love them, but the Palace subs that came on Elise side. There's even, and you can include Remy Matthews in that. The the task before them, it's it's a lot to ask from that set of players, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, timing is everything, and the benefit of hindsight had that uh, IU second yellow happened a bit earlier, or ideally nothing at all. Mm. Um, I think we probably would have just about held out for the point, which I think would have been a fair, a fairer reflection of the game. I agree; they weren't anywhere near their sort of... Well, our, we were late getting to the game about 10 minutes late and I was convinced we'd come in and already be like 3-0 down, to give you an idea of my of my optimism. Um, but we we did restrict them well. Um, but yeah, the, the subs... And, and that's been a problem. That's not just this season with our injuries. It's been a problem historically, hasn't it? That it's just... A real issue, in that obviously we don't expect to be able to have the calibre of bench that teams like Liverpool do have. We just haven't got the money for the calibre of that in our first team, let alone on yeah. the bench. Um, but it is getting bearer and bearer, um, and yeah, we just can't seem to catch a break with these injuries and throwing on people who haven't played that much or for a long time and youngsters, although it's good to give the youngsters a chance. Obviously it's a real baptism of fire. Um, and yeah, I especially felt for Remy Matthews coming on, um, for that one to make his full debut. I mean, I don't think either of the goals are are his fault, but, and obviously there's 10 or nine players in front of him before they get to him. But, um, yeah, just not, not an ideal set of circumstances, um, when we're already struggling to have injury after injury.
1: Yeah. Um, do you know what? I feel like if we'd recorded this pod like the post-match pod would be within, I'd even say, 24 hours later, we could possibly still be foaming at the mouth about yes. it and, and you know, shouting the odds. Having kind of had a couple of days to, you know, let the dust settle. Do, and and I'll pl- put this to you, Ruben, not just for yourself, but someone like Roy Hodgson, who, again, post-match there's a really great clips of it going around. What he said to TNT was just, he was really gutted, but and he he almost was struggling to take any positives from it as a result. But I do feel like now that dust has settled, is it a reassuring performance from the players that we do have available? Is it encouraging moving forward? Yeah,
2: Yeah. I, I understood why Roy felt the way he did at the time. And I would hope that, he's not completely falling out of love with football because that was kind of what he was alluding to. It reminded me of that viral clip of the lower league manager. I forget his name. You know, the one where he's like, I'm just falling out of love with football. Yeah, yeah. um But he, it was an encouraging performance. Yeah. And it clearly shows that like the Bournemouth performance, as bad as it was, like the player, he hasn't lost a dressing room or anything. Like he, the players still work for him. We're just at a bit of a low point in terms of the injury list, the fatigue, like not that we play scintillating, gig and pressing football when we do have a full squad, but we at least pose a lot more of a threat and we're just in games more. Um, so to be in this game for so long against, you know, they're top of the table now, right? They're yeah. very much title contenders. Um, they're, they're they're an excellent team. and have got several world class players. So to to put up that much of a fight, um, even with ten men towards the end, it, it was definitely encouraging. Um, the 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 discouraging elements of it were how knackered everybody looked at the end. Um, when, like, especially for the Harvey Elliott goal, like, I don't want to dig the players out, but you can see Richards and Hughes are just knackered because they don't jump towards Elliott as quickly as they may do, um, in the first half and they turn their backs. And then, it, it, so it's like, it's these fine margins that we're kind of suffering from at the moment. Um, but you know, oh well, at least it's only City away next week, indeed. And I guess
1: that's the the thing grace you have it, it's part of the reason why we were so dejected after wednesday and that a lot of fans are really frustrated after that run of games and home defeats prior to this because we know even we can play well as palace with what we've got and maximize what we've got which you know is a thing that i would argue roy's teams haven't done in the last few weeks they certainly did on saturday and you can still not win again in, when you're playing in liverpool in a liverpool and maybe even Chelsea even though in their current guys who knows. But if you're Roy Hodson right now, you're looking for you need a bone thrown you need a you, where's your bit of luck that you're gonna find That's probably part of why he's so kind of down after that game as well because he knows that this may well be forgotten in three weeks time or if Brighton comes game emerges in similar circumstances, how we played, there's not going to be much comfort to him if we just keep losing and keep being unlucky. It's been a long time since we've got some a run of form, isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. And like you say, how well we played on Saturday will be consigned to to the history books and the records will show that we lost two one and and that's the end of it. Um, and it's, I think, the frustration also comes from that if we can play like that against Liverpool, why weren't we playing? Better, Not necessarily in the same way because different op- opposition against the likes of Luton, Everton, etc. And that's the frustration that we know that these players are still capable of putting in the performances greater than what, what we have seen. And that's the frustration and that we had that, that run of fixtures that seemingly on paper... Looks like the ones to be picking up points where we just haven't and now we've got this this run of fixtures in front of us which is grim anyway because the Christmas um, period always is isn't it it's game after game and then now we've got these injuries we've not got the points on the board that maybe we'd hoped we would and it looks a bit more daunting um, but also at the same time I do feel there's not less expectation, but I mean, it's city away, even when they're not at their best, it's still city away. Um, if we come away without any injuries, I'll count that as a success. Um, so I don't know. I think it might be a little while before things start to look a bit brighter and rosier. And I think we're just going to have to stick with it and, and ride it out and hope, hope that it does, does improve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true, and Ruben. I guess there's clutching for straws here. Does the way that what what we're left with at the moment, squad wise, is a backs backs against the wall run of games, actually likely to be the sort of fixtures where we may pull something out of the bag, even if it is a draw, even if it's unlucky defeats. This is probably, given what is remaining. That, that may actually be the preferable set of circumstances we're in, or am I really trying to scramble for positives uh, I'd, I'd here? say that's that's
2: some good clutching there. Um, I mean, it may be like this kind of... Uh, you'd hope that a siege mentality can be forged for the Brighton game, where, you know... That's the
1: scary one, isn't it, basically, of the I mean, lot. That,
2: it is scary, because you never want to lose it. But I do feel like we have quite a strong record of just drawing them 1-1 quite yep. often. And right now, I think we'd all take that... Um, as kind of depressing as that is in itself. But um, Chelsea also, they're shit, right? So we can get a point there. <laughs> um, maybe. Like, uh, the City game is a, is a weird one because it, it does feel like nobody has any expectation, as, as Grace says, and it's like, you know, maybe just play a bunch of kids and take the L, which is not like a particularly professional um, approach. Like, you should be aiming to win every game, right? But, like, if we're being realistic... City are not hundred percent, but even at ninety, like they're they're, they're going to win. So we can kind of forget about that. If you want to talk about clutching at straws, though, thank oh. God, Luton lost to City and Arsenal. Eh? Imagine if they got some points out of those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah that a really such a panic. Totally. Everton have got four wins in the last five. If they hadn't had a points deduction, they'd be above Fulham and they'd be in like tenth or ninth or something. Yeah. So I don't want to look down the table too much. Um, and thankfully, at the moment, we don't quite have to but uh yeah I mean this is the thing you never know like we do have a good uh we have a habit of picking up points where we shouldn't and dropping them where we should win so who knows who knows yeah it's funny I, I was expecting to
1: see a lot more of the type of comments that would say particularly when Bournemouth won Old Trafford in the manner that they did I was expecting a few comments of well you know Wednesday doesn't seem so bad after It happens to the best of us but I think it was just such a bad spectacle that I, I, I think people even avoided that. Just quickly before we move on for part one, um, you mentioned about playing the kids. I, I don't know if this is going to be indicative of the starting eleven on Saturday, anyway. But a number of sort of under twenty one regulars didn't play in a game on Monday night. That's Adaramola um, at left back, Adamola Ola Adabomi, the sort of six foot four striker, I think he is. David Ozo, who of course played. A few minutes in the Liverpool game, and Sean Graham and Franco Ume as well, who can sometimes play at wing back but plays a lot more forward as well. They all train in with the first team at the moment, so they're not playing in this week's under 21s games, which is a sort of. We do need the bodies, but it's also a development from. I think Ozo missed out on the last matchday squad essentially because he played in an academy game or under 21s game the same weekend. And I think that that's very interesting I, I, I'm not I won't put it to you guys whether that means Roy is gonna give a significant amount of them bench time or game time but that is where we are at the moment we we are there's only so many more injuries before we start calling up people with squad numbers in the 60s and 70s that's where we are um, but that is it in a part one of us will be here all night um, and I will be fishing for more positives from Grace and Ruben in three, two, one. one after this <laughs> to part two of the five-year plan podcast where sponsored by green king sport where football is more than a game it's three, two, one. one always difficult after a defeat but uh, we must do it for administrative purposes pretty much only that. Um, If you don't know, we each bring a person or thing that we think is deemed praiseworthy and worth celebrating after the week of palace that we've just had. And in between us, we allocate them three, two or one point, and then they get added to a overall table that will eventually crown the, I guess, official FYP player or person or thing of the year. Uh, We'll see. So, uh, Ruben, I'll throw the heavy tyre at you first. Uh, Is there someone you would like to put forward from that Liverpool game that is deemed worthy of
2: a thumbs up or two thumbs up even? I'm going to go with Jefferson Lerma because in the absence of his usual midfield partners, I feel like he really stepped up. And, you know, normally he's a little bit of a a destroyer, a shuttler, like he kind of gets the ball off to Corey, takes it up the pitch a bit, tries to find Eze or pass it wide. He's quite a functional, straightforward midfielder. But in this game, he was doing a lot of um, what the nerds call progressive carries um, into like dangerous areas and trying to win a foul just to get us some territory. Um, and, you know, I don't have, I mean, according to Sofa's score, the numbers would suggest that he had a pretty average game. Uh, they say 6.9, but there was, being there watching it, I felt like he was really important to us and his injury really hurt us. So um, I feel like he's a little bit of an unsung hero this season. So I'm going to give him the three. Right, yeah. I,
1: you've you've got ahead of me there, Ruben. I think I've awarded him my... I've put him forward, I think, the last two times I've been on here. I thought he was excellent at the Luton game. Bournemouth, it was a little bit more scrappy, but he, he was trying his very best to... I think Jack's analogy was... It was like he was playing against his old school or something, trying to prove a point, (laughs) leaving it, leaving his studs in a little bit and all stuff like that. But, um, Grace, how, how of, obviously of the, of all the summer signings, he's the only one that's started in the league, I believe. But as a signing generally, how how have you seen Lerma despite the results this season?
0: Generally, it's been, thank God we signed him. Um, Mm. because if we hadn't, we'd be even, I mean, that, that seems to be where we're being hit with injuries this season in the middle. Um, Obviously, with Decore's um, unfortunate injury. So, yeah, thank God we signed him. And he seems to have, I think, he sort of goes about his business quite quietly and quite in a quite unassuming way, like for large parts of the game. I don't always notice that he's there, which maybe doesn't sound like a compliment for the position that he plays, but I feel like there's nothing particularly flashy, nothing particularly like, oh God, why is he doing that? He just yeah. sort of gets on with it, sort of no nonsense. Um, but yeah, I think he's been been a great addition. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that I think he's probably a bit of an unsung hero so far this year and has yeah really helped, well, I say steady the ship. The ship's still not great, but it's better than it would have been
1: he's he's, he's plugging some holes in the the base of the boat basically yeah it's interesting I think because at different points of this season he's had to it's it's almost like his role if everyone is fit is to facilitate the work of Decore and Eze in front of him but when one of those and now both of those are missing he's asked to do other things and he has kind of taken on the responsibility relatively well as much as you could possibly hope from, from one player being asked to kind of be everywhere. And yeah, I, I've, I've been really enjoying his performances lately, despite the results. And I just hope he can keep fit. Cause yeah, that, that cramp, it it wasn't a surprise given the amount of minutes he played. He missed cause he missed the game. I think it was the, was it the Burnley game he missed because of uh, inter- like got injured or international duty or returned really late. And it has not had a lot of time off. I don't think despite being jetted everywhere across the world. So, yeah, January's coming up. I think he'll get his rest there. Hopefully that will be not too late for him. Um, Grace, your pick for three, two, one. 2 one
0: A bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I actually didn't think that Schlup had a terrible game on Saturday, um, especially after he'd missed the West Ham game through, I think it was for personal reasons, wasn't yeah. it? So no one was obviously expecting his omission. And um, I know he comes in for quite a bit of stick and I'm guilty of that on occasion, but he is another one that's always, always there when we need him to be there. Is generally pretty reliable, um, has some good, efforts going forward and also defensively. I mean, he does always look absolutely spent on about the hour mark and any more than that, you're, you're really struggling. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he put in put in a decent shift. I, that, that said, having sort of impliedly slagged the whole team off and not play well, I don't think anyone had a bad game on Saturday. And that, again, is one of the frustrating things that we didn't have anything to show from it. Um, but yeah, so Schlappi gets my my vote this week
2: the numbers would back you up as well. He, uh, he, the sofa score stats give him a 7.1, um, 85% pass completion. However, that is 11 of 13. So. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, Playing the his, numbers. Yeah, he won his duels. Um, he, he was up and down. Um, his heat maps, pretty defensive, but yeah, he, he did his job. Like, like very, I, I quite often single him out for, for not being of the required standard, but, uh, yeah he was pretty good against Liverpool. I just wish we could go back to using him for those 20 minute cameos where he would yeah. inject a bit of energy rather than yeah. having to start him. Yeah. Agreed. It's it, it was
1: indicative of I'm not, I not I I believe well Liverpool made a half time substitution at right back and moved Trent into midfield and um I, I imagine it you know there might have been an injury there I didn't actually ever find out but I think Schlup's performance Schlup kept them busy first half on the, being asked he's not had a great time wide left of a front free most of the season, there's been a handful of assists, I believe, but like not, it's not been performance-wise his strongest period. And yeah, I, I felt like he was, was causing enough problems at the other end of the pitch that, but you know, you kind of thought, well, we're we're not out pretty early on. The game looked like something we could get something from, which I think, given what happened on Wednesday, we needed to see some early signs, and I think it was part of that early on. So yeah, I, I think as you said, Grace, somebody that is one of usually quite high up on the list when it comes to people who uh, are called out on, on this, on this pod. So I think the praise is due when they play to a better standard as well. Um, Right. That, who does that leave me with? So we've got Lerma and we've got Schlupp again. You're right, Grace. I feel like most, I don't think there was anyone that had a a just straight bad game. I was kind of, pleased with the performance of everyone generally i think i'm gonna have to pick between one of two players that i was less impressed with really unimpressed with on wednesday i think the pod after that i was really critical of well just like not even critical just disappointed in the performance of klein and richards I, i felt like there was very little hope with nathaniel klein going on to left back the game seemed to end for us when mitchell went off and I kind of really written off a series, what was coming ahead, because I just don't think we could do much with Klein left back, Ward at right back. That's not, you know, but Klein being tasked with Mo Salah, who does get his goal eventually. I don't know how much of that you can throw on Nathaniel Klein, given it's a deflected effort right in the middle of the penalty area. But I thought Klein did really well to keep Mo Salah quiet for most of that game. Um, So. I think I might have to put him in you know we're going to have to we're going to need him until further notice. I don't really know the extent of this mitchell injury. I don't think it's as long term as some of the other absentees, but um it it's nice to to give give clan a thumbs up because he's not going to have too many sort of swan songs like that, I think between now and the end of the season.
2: Yeah, he did well. And I, I I was surprised to see him use his left foot so much. Yes. Normally, he's the most one-footed player of all time. Like he, yeah. When he plays on a right-back, if they don't show him down the line and he's not allowed to dribble forwards and he has to come inside, the ball inevitably goes backwards because he just hates using his left. Which is why I was surprised when Mitchell did get injured that we lined up that way. Because obviously, Ward has a little bit more experience playing at left-back yeah. over the years. But yeah, it was um markedly improved performance from him. Salah was pretty... Um, ineffective uh, until late on. Obviously that's why that's the difference between players like Salah and players the level below. But for the, for the majority of the game, Brian did, did a really good job in terms of, because Liverpool threatened to, to, to get in behind our line quite often. And there was always one of them quite often him to, to prevent that from happening.
1: Yeah. There was even a moment, Grace second half, I presume before the red where we, Almost catch them out on a break. There's like a ferocious counter attack, which is rare for Palace these days. And Nathaniel Klein is charging down the left hand side, looking for the overlap. And I, I, I was it, it wore my heart a bit. I thought, yeah, I still got it in him. You know, he does need a a little bit, a, a few extra seconds. But it's nice to know this. It's not someone just kind of here to pick up their their pace slip and just go. I'll get my five games a season and um, I'll be on my way. I think he still is at least trying to offer Palace something in a time of need where we are at right now
0: yeah absolutely and I mean I was saying to someone the other day it's not the players that are coming in for injured players it's not their fault that the squad isn't good enough or that they yeah. are all we've got so as long as they come in and do the best they can do that's all you can ask for and like with the likes of Klein I think I saw that um, I think it was 14 years ago to the day on Friday, so the day before the Liverpool game, that he scored his first goal for us at Reading away oh, um, in the game where Victor scored two. And you just think, of oh, 14 years later, he's now starting against a club that he's uh, left us to go somewhere else, then gone to them, then come back, and then it's still... On the other flank to his, his replacement. Shift. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something no. quite cyclical about it all, although, yeah, I don't think there's many clubs that it's, it's very... Palace um, isn't it it just sort of typifies us but um, yeah as as long as he's given his all which obviously looks different to what it did 14 years ago age yeah. gets us all um, yeah that that's all we can ask for
1: yeah it, it was funny I was speaking on a, a Liverpool podcast before the game and they actually gasped when I sort of suggested that Nathaniel Klein was going to play I think they forgot that he was at Palace it's like he, they really their memories of him are still quite positive he had a horrible injury and then that led to the kind of introduction of Trent and that was the end of his time there really but you know on his day he was an excellent player it's you know age comes to us all um, but it's it's nice that he can still help us out in a game like that now I, and then I now. think
2: he I think he won a Europa League with Liverpool in I want to say 15 16 maybe Klopp's first season before Trent broke through kind of a year or so later yeah he, uh, wow. he, he did he did play well for Liverpool um, that when he was really at his prime but obviously he, that was hit the, the absolute ceiling of his of his ability, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and
1: that, that is quite now a few in my head, it's three years ago, but it's not. It's 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 way longer than that now. Mm. Um so, okay. we've got three players here for 3-2-1. We've got Jefferson Lerma, we've got Jeffrey Schlupp, and we have Nathaniel Klein. I'm divvying up the points to each of these. I'm I think Lerma for the three points seemed pretty across the board. Everyone's quietly nodding there. So Lerma gets the three points again. Um do we who gets the two and the one out of Klein and Schlup? Is there any kind of any push any any, any push and pull here? What, Ruben as the neutral in that two in the, the two, how does that work? It's
2: a bit of a the toss of a coin for me. Um maybe uh, let's give Schlup the two, I think, just because we weren't expecting that sort of performance right. from him and it was such a a big leap in terms of of, of what we saw. So, um, yeah. And also we, we probably give him disproportionate stick generally. So let's give Schlup a little bit of, a bit, a bit of joy.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So that's three points to Lerma, two to Schlup, and one to Nathaniel Klein, almost certainly his first points of the season there as well. So that's a, a very snappy three, two, one and a very positive one. So thank you very much guys. We can find diamonds in the rough for these performances. There are, there's room to, room to smile, reason to smile. Um, so that's a quick 321 a quick part 2. Uh join us again for part 3 where we take on some of your listener questions. to part three of the five-year plan podcast sponsored by green king sport where football is more than a game uh it's time for the listener questions thank you to all of you that got in touch i'm going to read some of yours that have come through on x uh ricky b starts us off light hearted is it a yellow card for christmas i mean we kind of mentioned it at the top of the, the show it palace have now are now receiving an uncontestable twenty-five pound fine because we Received a certain number of yellow cards in one game, and given the nature of those, how like, uh, I you know they are you know tiny violins, but there are what as as annoying, frustrating injustices go. I don't think that Palace performance warrants a kind of a, a club fine and a, a, a you know dressing down from the FA because we just didn't give that type of performance, did we? It was hungry and with bite, but it wasn't
2: nasty, was it? No, it was... I mean, obviously they have these rules in place for a reason, right? To prevent teams from just going out to injure and, and hurt their opposition. That that wasn't what our players were doing. They're just, they're just not that good. Yeah. So they're always like a little bit late to a tackle or or whatever. But um, yeah, you know, like I said, with the, with the IU second yellow, like neither of those were malicious whatsoever. Um, so it's unfair. However... It is only £25,000, um, which to a football club is, you know, to us, that's a lot of money. To a football club is not a lot of money. Um, and I think they'll survive. Um, but, yeah, definitely kind of fits. It's very on brand for this week of like, oh, and another thing, like, you know, with the injuries and the bad luck and whatever. So uh, it's just something they have got to take on the chin, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um-
1: uh, I've got two conflicting questions here, Grace. So I'm curious to see what side of the fence you um, sit on here. So on one side you have Payfos Seven who says Mateta was very, very good. His hold up play, link up play, positioning in the box, proper number nine. Should he get more game time? And then on the other side of that fence you have Michael, sorry, Mike Ward, who says should we give Ola Adebomi minutes rather than JP, which suggests he's not that happy with that performance. How did you assess Mateta's afternoon uh, after coming on? And it, you know, and if every injury is for a few games here, we, he may have to lead the line until Veronese. Are you happy with that? Is have we got? Is Ola really an option yet? Is it too early to be considering him?
0: I mean, I personally haven't really seen any of him, so I feel like I can't really comment on his on his inclusion beyond that. It's funny isn't it like with Matetta that we all watch the same game and yet people see things so differently um but I, I suppose with Matetta it's it's the type of player he is but he does he does the, like he ambles around the pitch a lot um and I'm sure he's got an extra gear that we still haven't seen to this day um but yeah, I I don't think he did badly on on Saturday. I thought he did fine. Um he he wanted to step up and take the penalty. Um rightly or wrongly, didn't shy away from it. Um and just wanted to do his bit and was clearly pleased to have scored and to have to have got his name on the on the score sheet. Um obviously goals and strikers generally is something in the last few years we've really really struggled with apart from um obviously Benteke had that season where it was better and things looked a bit rosier and since then because we just don't have the money that other clubs do to spend on on a on an established striker and seemingly we struggle to unearth these sort of uncut gems that other clubs all manage to find um so we have to make do with what we've got and if that if that means blooding a youngster to give them some experience and development then if nothing else I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if the alternative is someone that's also maybe not going to score and is then also going to bugger off in January. So, yeah, it's hard, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I, I, On the highlights, I can't remember where I saw it, I heard the commentator say, I think it was his second Premier League goal in 40 matches, which I know that the, we kind of, you know, the Plymouth hat trick really sort of changed his fortunes and, and sort of extended his future at Palace. He always seems to time those one foot out of the door performances really well. It's kept him here a lot longer than I think all of us expected. Um, Palfos' initial question there, Ruben, about his performance and hold up play and positioning, excellent. I I thought Van Dyke really had him kind of handled comfortably. It's, you know, he the, wins the penalty, I'll give him that, but yeah, I don't know if I'm watching the same game there. I, I, you know, Liverpool's not the game where Mateta's going to win you games, but at um, a, a Brighton and the Chelsea games, you know, there's history there against Brighton. How confident are you of him leading the line
2: over the next sort of two, three weeks if it comes to that? I'm confident that he will. I'm not confident yeah. it will be <laughs> yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Like the, You mentioned the Brighton thing, but that... It epitomizes what you mentioned just before, which is like his his cult hero status for scoring important goals against rivals rather than being prolific. Yeah. Um and having a funny chant, which by the way, very glad that the club played better yeah. days after the goal <laughs> instead of um glad all over that one time. That was good. Um but uh, my problem with Mateta is like and I can't talk because I I'm also built like this um though probably not as strong. He's like 80% leg. So when yeah. he runs it looks quite awkward and he's not as quick as he should be because there's like too much leg to move. It's, <laughs> it, he's got a very odd gait. Um and yeah, I think you're right Van Dijk did have him pretty quiet, but he looked lively and we've set the bar so low in terms of expectations <laughs> for him that that was quite something. In terms of of link-up play and hold-up play, I do actually think there's something there to be said that it like he is he seemed better at doing that against Liverpool which was Dan Edward which was very important given that we were, you know, on the back foot and needed a little bit of respite and for somebody to just hold onto it for a second, bring the team up the pitch. Um, but maybe that I, I feel like maybe that's more Edwards hold up. Play is very lacking at times. And I feel like that's maybe this problem where we want to launch the ball long in the air um, to relieve pressure, but we know that he, he won't win the aerial ball. So it kind yeah. of ends up getting fizzed into him at, at his feet. And then it will like bounce up and he'll take two touches and maybe luckily get a pass off or sometimes lose the ball. So it's quite frustrating because uh, Edouard is good at other things, but when he's playing back to goal and the ball gets fizzed into him, it's, it's annoying. So Mateta is probably better at that side of the game. But the problem, like the last really good thing I, I think we saw Mateta do was that, did he get an assist for an Eze goal using his back against yeah. Wolves, was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like, you know, th- there is, there's little glimpses of quality there, but without players like Eze and... You know, I mean Elise might will probably have to play, but obviously the fact that he was resting shows that he's on the brink of um you know his physical capabilities. Without players like that, and obviously are oh, he's not available. Like who's gonna who's he gonna link the ball to? Like there's not that much quality around him to make use of his function as a target man. Um, but obviously there's a few other options. But you know, the the, the young player that you mentioned, um, Ola Adabomi. Just checking out his uh, his numbers in in Premier League 2 He's got seven goals in nine games, so clearly like there's some talent there. Yeah. Um, but it's he's such built, a massive step up. He's
1: very he's very well uh, physically. He's
2: he's quite a big kid
1: as well. I think he's 6'3", six three six four. Um, mm. I know height isn't everything, but you know. No, even it helps himself. when you're playing
2: yeah. that the way that we're going to have to. So I wouldn't be against seeing him given some minutes. I, I don't expect Roy to suddenly call on them all at once, but. Um, given the options available, you know, I'm sure if we had, I think I've said this before on the pod, if we had a fit and good left winger, you know, like obviously France, uh, whatever it appears, he's not ready. Mm. Um, IU's had to play on the left, Schlapps had to play on the left. I feel like if everyone was fit and we had a good left winger, then IU would be playing through the middle as he did at the back end of last season. Mm. Um, But, you know, I'm rambling. Maybe, Maybe this guy gets the minutes. I would like to see it just because, you know, it's like, well, what harm could it do? You know,
1: yeah, and I suppose with Edward injured, it, he would be the only, he would be the forward sub, right? I mean, we've seen, I think at the start of the season you had like Kamani Gordon there when once one was missing. So needs must. Um, uh, another question: Johnny says, "Is Julian Lopetegui our future?" There's, I think, Marker have have reported that we've we've spoken to him, approached him already. Uh, about potentially taking over after Roy. Um, But Forrest are interested also, which um, I imagine if if there was a straight shootout between the two, I think one is offering a much stronger, much bigger budget than the other, I imagine. And given how he left Wolves, um, I I think Forrest would be the winner there, although it would free up Steve Cooper, possibly. Um, Grace, Lopetegui, what are you aware of him or how much you know of him? Is that the type of manager you're expecting is that the calibre manager you're expecting us to pull out, or do you think the circumstances mean even someone like that's out of reach
0: generally? I mean, the fact that we're looking someone that looking at someone that's not British makes a nice change because that mm-hmm. tends to be our our type, isn't it? The merry-go-round of has-beens. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, like you say, the way the way he left Wolves, which was apparently because of them not wanting to spend the money that he wanted to spend, sort of sends um, alarm bells ringing. Given our uh, reluctant putting hand into the pocket of recent years,
1: a hundred and fifty year um, history, yeah,
0: <laughs> to put it generously. <laughs> yes. Um. So I I don't know, and I mean he did. He did pretty well at Wolves, didn't he? They had they were really good at home. They had that spell particularly towards the end of the season. Um I remember going there because it was the day the day after or two days after the marathon. And I don't know if you've been the away end up there, but the amount of stairs I had to walk mm-hmm. up and down there was hideous. Um, only to watch us lose. I think it was 2-0. Um and they set up quite resolutely. Um whether we've got the sort of players I think that's my concern in that when we previously have got in managers that maybe play slightly differently, like we tried with De Burr, but then don't get the players in to play that particular way, I feel like it's sort of setting yourself up for, for failure. So I think if they are going to go with a slightly different approach, they're going to have to be prepared to to back that person and put their hand in their pocket. Um, so, yeah, let's see. if If Roy doesn't make it to the end of this season or at the end of the season, whenever it might be.
1: Yeah. Ruben, if, if a, if a calibre of a Lopetegui is interested in the Palace job, is that enough of a reason or incentive to bring forward Roy's exit date? And that's a big hypothetical.
2: Yeah, arguably, yeah. Um, he would probably be able to bring, uh, you know, attract a better quality of player in January. Um he's he's got a good record as a manager, did all right at Wolves, left, you know, unamicably, but um that happens quite a lot. However, it, it feels very unlikely to me. It seems like the more likely course of action is that we wait for Forrest to sack Cooper and then we hire him because we don't want to buy a manager out of their deal. Nope. And Cooper seems to be on the verge because their chairman is, you know, even though the fans love him there, the chairman is uh, an eccentric character. Um, so, yeah, it seems like that's the the more likely scenario. Um, and, you know, as Grace said, it's nice to be linked with a slightly more, I don't want to say exotic, but, you know, like kind of <laughs> cultured or, you know, a, a higher level of manager that isn't the safe option. Um, however, you know, Parrish has been burnt a little bit. Um, by the way, do you see De Boer just got sacked by an Emirati team after like mm-hmm. 13 games. Yeah, cheers, Frank. Um, <laughs> but... Like yeah, I can't see it happening, unfortunately. I quite like I I would like it to happen just because I think it'd be fun. Um, but yeah, it feels unlikely. Yeah, that's a
1: that's a, a former Spain and Real Madrid manager, right? It's uh although the <laughs> he didn't get the World and, Cup, did he? The the because, yeah, he agreed to Real Madrid before take it going to the tournament. It was then leaked and then he had to resign before the tournament. Yeah, and then they had
2: and then his first, and then when he did eventually go to Real Madrid, he didn't do very well, and they got rid of him pretty quickly.
1: He was gone within a couple of months. Yeah, so uh, yeah, maybe we'll hire him, and he'll be gone by May anyway, <laughs> because someone else's Forest have come in for him. After uh, I'm trying to think, one one more question. Um Leas says, despite the good performance, that's one win in nine, likely to be one win in ten after the City game. How worried are you that maybe there aren't three worst teams in current form? There's kind of been a light mention already from you, Ruben, of Everton, where they would be without the points deduction and kind of Luton's performances, if not the results. But um, Grace, how I know there's an injury crisis and a lot of those injuries are quite long term. But is it a case, how how much are you looking over your shoulder already? Are we at that point?
0: I mean... Yeah, the fact that we've been in this league for God knows how long and we're still saying, are there three teams worse than us? It's not mm-hmm. ideal, but we are where we are. Um, but I do still think there are three teams worse than us. Not entirely sure who they all might be. Burnley and Sheffield United, I think, are shoe-ins. The third, yeah, Luton have distorted it a little bit with the better performances, because I think if they can play like that against the sort of more middle group of, of teams, I think they will pick up some more points. Um that said, I think that hopefully if we strengthen a bit in January, even if that's using the loan market, which we seem to have disregarded a bit recently for whatever reason, um, if Chelsea still like us after we snub them with a lease, then there might be someone amongst their 200 odd academy loan players that we can pick up um, and improve for them, for them to then just not use again. But, you know, Um then I think, yeah, I think we will pick up the points. Hopefully some of the injuries aren't so long-term and we just sort of ride out this, well, I'm not sure wave is the right word because that would mean a high, but you know, you get out storm. this rut basically. Yeah. Storm, weather, the, yeah. weather the storm, that's the one I want. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we'll be going down this season. Touch wood. Please don't blame me if it happens.
1: Don't worry. I'm, I'm sat at a, a, a desk. Funny, I'm behind, <laughs> but inside baseball here. Um, the apple all apple stores i'm working at apple studio at the moment they all the desks are they have their own forest in canada an apple forest that which they source all their wood from so i am wow a lot of that's that just probably gives you the idea of the scale of the of the how much wood they use for various offices (laughs) and sites so i'm surrounded by a lot of it and i'm tapping it everywhere because i'm (laughs) i'm in the same i'm in the same zone as you grace i feel like We've been here long enough. That doesn't actually really count for anything come May, um, how long we've been in the Premier League. And the the sheer, well, the fact that we've only just lost our first Premier League manager of the season in the last couple of weeks um, in Paul Heckenbottom. And that's very rare for the Premier League. You'd have had to half the table gone by now already. And I wonder if that's an indication of just how many kind of projects are going on in the Premier League, how many of them are quietly kicking along or you know they don't have to be pulling up the trees that Emery is at Villa or um, now you're seeing Iriola at, at, at Bournemouth they can just be kind of they can see the bigger picture and and I think to me that and maybe I don't know how you feel about it Ruben it indicates everyone else is pretty happy with their lot and maybe that's maybe that is a bigger warning sign of things to come there's not a, there's not enough crisis clubs at the moment
2: yeah I, I feel like there's kind of a few factors at play here like of the underperforming uh elite teams, or like the rich seven, let's call them, um, you've got Chelsea in twelve. Obviously, they sacked Potter quite early in in his reign, um, with all the chaos that's that goes that's going on at Stamford Bridge. And they're trying to avoid um they're trying something different. They're now trying well, maybe we don't sack a manager immediately, given the plate that we've served him and we see what he can do with it. Cause really with Chelsea, we're not going to go down. Like if we want to improve eventually, we're going to have to stick with something. So I feel like that's, what's keeping Pochettino in a job, Eric ten Hag, you know, he's underperform, his team are underperforming massively, but who else would United bring in? They've got their own problems as well. And it, which isn't just having a bad manager. Cause obviously he's not always been a bad manager. So there's various factors that are keeping those two in jobs. And then you look down the table And the three promoted teams who occupy the bottom three didn't spend much money in the summer. And I feel like the promoted teams are now taking a slightly different approach um, given like their resources. So like – not necessarily every year. Like obviously, Forrest spent loads of money and just that massive turnover when they came up. Um, but like Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United seemed to be obviously Sheffield United have sacked Heckingbottom and brought in Wilder, but they all seem to have entered the season with the acceptance that they'll probably go back down and therefore haven't bet the farm on staying up because it's really, really costly if you do put everything into staying up and go down anyway. So they're kind of hedging their bets in that sense, which is why, you know, company especially, he came in to transform how Burnley played and did it and then, you know, w- went up automatically playing great football. So there's all these contexts that's keeping different managers in in jobs, um, which is why we kind of stick out as, as a bit of a... Like, we don't even have the we play good football and it's all part of a project <laughs> reasoning for keeping someone around. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I can't remember what your question was, but you would expect <laughs> half the, half the table to be gone by now, but there's like little caveats for it with every team as to, as to why they haven't necessarily sacked their manager.
1: Yeah. You can even apply that to us a little bit. I think mm. um, Selzy on one of the post-match pods, I don't know if it was the post-Liverpool game or maybe the one after Bournemouth. I think the phrasing he used, a paraphrasing though, it, he said, essentially, the club took the piss a little bit this year, kind of except thinking, oh, do you know what? We could probably get away with not, you know, just leaving Tyreek as the only fit left back and uh, Wilf has left quite late. Uh, do you know what? We'll see how we get on. There's going, be, there's going to be a couple of teams worse than us. We're not going to be struggling. But that doesn't account for... Injury crises and 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 the players that are injured. It's not just the fact that we've got players injured; it's the actual who those per- people are. And yeah, it's um, it's never not scary. I I i very rarely relaxed, but um, yeah, I'm hoping that that January does bring in something and some replenishment and some rest at the very least, if not new recruitment. Um, but yeah, we're not long away from finding that out. Hopefully, we've picked up some points between now and then, um, and that includes. Uh, thank you for your list of questions, by the way, but we have this weekend's visit to Manchester City. Um, we'll fly through pretty quickly because we've kind of mentioned it in passing and bits already. This is not an ideal fixture. There's been whispers, you know, Erling Haaland missed the Luton game and there was a little bit of hope that he might miss it, but that since been confirmed that he's he's fine. I think Guardiola said he's probably going to play. So even that glimmer of hope has been distinguished. Historically, Grace, we've had a decent record there compared to other teams, but um, that's with probably a better set of players, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, even at our strongest, I think you've obviously got to be at your best usually to play against City even when they're not at their best as they haven't been recently. Um, Yeah, not not an ideal fixture um for this time of year and with this depleted squad but we're gonna have to play them at some point aren't we so might as well get it over and done with um and you never know like we said sometimes you get the scalps where you're not you're not expecting them at all um and we know as much as anyone particularly from the first few years we were promoted how sort of the the effect that those sort of wins or even points can have on mindset when you're in a bit of a rut. So I think it would be ideal if we could get something, but I won't be too disheartened if we don't, as long as we avoid a mauling, not least because that's obviously not going to do anything to help anyone's mindset, players, fans, youngsters, or otherwise. Um, so like I said earlier, yeah, if we can get through it without any injuries, that's, that's a win in my books. Yeah.
1: Two chaotic uh, games the last time we've visited. So you had the the Vieira two nil, um, and then you have the defeat the Haaland the hat trick, where we I think we lead two 0 in that game, right? And then there's a controversial third disallowed if I remember that rightly. Um, so it's it's a I, weirdly I feel like City see us on a on a fixture list and go, oh for God's sake. Uh, which there's still some power in that. I, I don't agree with the idea that we throw a load of kids in. Maybe if we're losing, if it's a Newcastle type fixture and there's a sort of half an hour to play, maybe you do give people some extended minutes for the sake of it. But, Ruben, uh, how much hope are you <laughs> holding out? Hope, holding, mm, is it hope? I know you're not expecting anything from that game, but have you allowed yourself to retain some hope going into to, going to watch that game on Saturday?
2: I mean, not really. <laughs> no. I it's okay. More, You're I, allowed to say. I want to be more optimistic. I was, yeah. I'm trying to find out. Uh, I know he got booked against losing. Is Rodri suspended or not? Oh, because f- I, I know he's recently been suspended, and they have a horrendous record when he doesn't play. He, but he himself has not lost a game for City in like absolutely yonks. So, um, but I don't think he is. Unfortunately, I believe if he I- plays.
1: I, f- I think I think his yellow at Luton was his sixth for the season, which
2: implies that he's got a few more to go ready and come back. Yeah, um, never mind then. Yeah, we're definitely going to lose. Uh, they have um, they have a few uh, squad deficiencies of their own, but like you know, the, I forgot, I forget who they are. It was the Villa game when when Aston Villa absolutely dominated City. Their midfield was essentially two centre-backs in Stones and Kanji in that kind of weird double pivot box midfield that they play. And then Alvarez and Rico Lewis ahead of them. So that's like a striker, a fullback and two centre-backs comprising a midfield didn't work. But then against Luton, they had, you know, Rodri, Kovacic, Foden, um, all of whom are excellent at passing and dribbling. So I, I can't see us having much of the ball. It's going to be a similar performance to Liverpool game. Um, well, similar approach to the Liverpool game. Hopefully the performance is similar as well. Um, but it's just, you know, had we not picked up the injuries that we did against Liverpool, then I'd have more optimism that we could at least put up a similar fight in this game. But like with those key players missing, like especially Lerma and Johnston, it's, I, I can't see where we're going to get anything from. Uh, but, you know, as we've said, if we're going to have any optimism, then hopefully it's an opportunity to, Give some youngsters some experience and some confidence, maybe, and then hopefully that'll have a benefit down the line.
1: Yeah. I I personally would hope that Grealish starts ahead of I, I can't I don't think I can take Doku against Joel Ward, even if it's a deep lying um back four. I I I, I thought I thought Ward was fine against Liverpool. I, but I, Docu terrifies me. I think Mo, I think he terrifies every fullback in the Premier League. So I, I don't want to see that yeah. for 90 minutes.
2: The completed take-on stats would break <laughs> Opta, I
1: think. Yes, they'd have to <laughs> just pick, pack it all up and start again. Um, and Remy Matthews, who I imagine is going to be, unless Johnston recovers, then it'll be Remy Matthews starting ahead of us, rather than a Whitworth or anybody like that, who has been involved in, in first-team training now. I you know, he's going to be really, you're going to looking to him suddenly for a heroic kind of iconic one-off goalkeeper display that maybe is kind of first and only time he gets to do that. Or you're asking for him to really look to his center halves to play out of their skin. I know that Gay and Anderson have both got that in them to just defend incredibly. They have really not let us down across the season generally a lot of the points we have picked up at the start of the season are because of their performances. I think (laughs) that that's going to be one of the biggest asks of the season for them. And uh, if anything, we're getting out of this game, it will be a nil nil. I don't think it will be a a one or a two on our side. Even despite our goal scoring record there recently, but Hey, we live in hope. And, uh, you know, we go again, Palace fans. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, Hopefully it brings up. uh, Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm stream of consciousness here, but I I know that that Brighton game's coming, and it's just in my head. And I'm thinking, oh, we just need any kind of sign, anything to hold on to going into that game. So it's just not
0: the beginning or the end of anything. On the flip side, if we lose again at City, then Brighton will really think all their Christmases have come at once. And then if we can magically pull something out of the bag, that would make it even better.
2: Yeah, I just want like completely out of the blue, out of character, like Chris Richards' rocket to just fly (laughs) in. For him to just go, oh, fuck it. And just lash one in top bins in either of those games. It's like some kind of magic that comes out of nowhere that we weren't expecting would also feel quite palace. Yeah,
1: it's a week where cult heroes can be made I think whether that happens or not will remain to be seen but if it does we'll be there to talk about it next week so um, join us then that concludes this episode of the 5 year plan podcast huge thank you to the both of you for joining me thank you very much Ruben thank you very much mate Uh, thanks for always uh, uh, coming on and the same for you Grace thanks good to have you back
0: yeah thank you for having me always a pleasure
1: Uh, here's to uh, well earned three points on Saturday and, uh, and have a magnificent week, a magnificent weekend to both you and all of you there, listeners, as well. That uh, is the end of Five Your Podcast. See you later.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.